life is hard, but we can do hard things every day, including running a mountain marathon or including skiing this really steep, scary line. I personally believe there is that connection. Day to day, we're going to run into obstacles no matter how hard we try not to. So it's like, how do we build that mindset and resiliency to overcome those obstacles and barriers? We all can't do this all on our own. Humans are meant to be interdependent on each other and the ecosystem around us. Welcome back, or welcome to the Out and Back podcast presented by Gaia GPS. I'm Abby Levine, and that was Vasu Suditra. Vasu is a professional skier on the prestigious North Face athlete team. He's also an accomplished mountaineer and trail runner, and turns heads like that of Tony Hawk on a skateboard. Vasu, in fact, is one of the most accomplished adaptive athletes on Earth. He's notched first independent adaptive ascents and descents on everything ranging from the Grand Teton and Grand Teton National Park to Tuckerman's Ravine on Mount Washington in New Hampshire. After we caught up with Vasu this winter, he summited the formidable Mount Moran in Grand Teton National Park, and he skied its infamous Skillet Glacier. He's done all of that with one leg. But reducing Vasu to his leg difference sells him short. Rather, Vasu has leveraged his disability to cultivate courage, resiliency, and compassion. As a first-generation Indian American, Vasu brings an intersectional framework to the outdoors. He dismantles stigmas attached to disability and race and helps transform outdoor recreation into a safe and inclusive space for all. This winter, Vasu co-founded the Inclusive Outdoors Project, which aims to make outdoor recreation accessible to those on the margins. Before we dive into Vasu's story, though, I want to let you in on a secret. There is no reason to lose your way in the backcountry ever again. You see, a Gaia GPS membership lets you download your maps for offline use. This means that you can find your location no matter how remote the terrain and how far away you are from cell service. This one little nifty feature has saved me more times than I can count running, skiing, and cycling through the backcountry. I just tap the location on the screen and bam, I can see exactly where I am on the map, how far away I am from the trailhead, and how to return there safely. Take my word for it or don't. Either way, you can try out Gaia's endless list of features and maps by heading over to gaiagps.com backslash podcast to get our best discount only for out and back listeners. Okay, enough for me. Although, I should probably warn you, there is some language in here that may be unsuitable for younger audiences. Here's Vasu. My name is Vasu Sojitra. Uh, My pronouns are he, him, his. And I am a uh, professional athlete, uh, primarily for skiing, as well as a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist, primarily within the outdoor industry. My motto is ninja sticking through the woods to bring intersectionality to the outdoors. Hang on, Vasu has a motto? So ninja sticking, I'm an adaptive athlete as well. I call myself just a professional athlete just because I feel like all adaptive athletes and all athletes in general don't have to be always categorized. I have a right leg above the knee, amputation limb difference and I use forearm crutches to recreate and take part in all of these activities that I that I love so trail running 
backcountry skiing, cross-country skiing, pack rafting, all the things, mountaineering. What I've started noticing within the disability world and the non-disability world is that there's a stigma between the use of medical equipment. So a lot of folks say, oh, they're bound to this certain medical equipment or device. So people say wheelchair bound or whatever. But the thing is, these pieces of medical equipment are actually giving us more freedom than not. So it's a reframing. It brings a little bit of levity to it that my forearm crutches are ninja sticks. And whenever I bring that up to a kid asking me like about my leg or whatever, it kind of sparks a little bit more interest for the kid to be like, oh, that's super cool. Vasu treads lightly with his ninja sticks. I'm a visitor of the lands that are known as Bozeman, Montana. These are the lands and unceded ancestral lands of the Crow, Northern Cheyenne, Salish, Kootenai, Shoshone, Bannock, Blackfeet, and many others that call this area home. Before moving to Bozeman, Vasu was born in the quintessential New England town of Glastonbury, Connecticut. He was the second of two sons to Indian immigrants. When Vasu was nine months old, out of nowhere, he got diagnosed with septicemia, a life-threatening blood infection. And based off that, they had to amputate my leg or I would die. So, of course, that was the option. Doctors went ahead and amputated Vasu's right leg above the knee, saving his life in the process. As fairly new immigrants to the U.S., Vasu's parents decided to relocate their family back to Gujarat, a state on the west coast of India, where they could be closer to extended family and could receive more familial support. My brother is two years older than me. We were pretty young. And we grew up in India from the age of two till, or for me, two till seven, and then moved back to the States because we had more access to prosthetic equipment, medical equipment that India just didn't have at the time. I was constantly growing out of my prosthetic leg. I was constantly breaking my prosthetic leg. So we were constantly shipping it back and forth from India to the U.S. and uh, vice versa. Then they just decided, screw it, we'll try to give our kids more opportunity and move back to Connecticut. Straddling those disparate worlds of East and West helped Vasu transcend his own perspective from a very young age. It definitely developed a subconscious understanding of where people are coming from, building that empathy, like really understanding what poverty actually is. My family wasn't impoverished. In India, we were more like middle class. And then moving to the States, middle class usually translate to lower socioeconomic status. So we were in that realm, but transitioning from a very brown community where everyone did look like me other than my disability to the U.S. and Connecticut, where predominantly it was a lot of white folks without disabilities, was a huge transition. And no matter how hard I tried as a young kid, fitting in was definitely not part of my M.O., In India, Vasu's skin tone blended in with those around him, but his leg difference stood out. Disability is still viewed and stigmatized there in a poor manner. A lot of folks with disabilities are institutionalized or pitied because of the caste system, which is technically illegal, but it's still very much systemic. The vision that you have a disability because in your past life, you might have done something wrong based on that reincarnation cycle. But things like that were definitely effective in how people treated me. And while the overt stigma against people with disabilities was less acute in Connecticut, Vasu still didn't feel like he belonged. That was the uphill battle that I was constantly fighting when moving back to the States was that inclusive side of community. 
I didn't really know many folks that had disabilities like me. I mostly just saw folks with two legs and primarily white folks growing up in Connecticut. If you've ever felt like you didn't quite fit in, you know how that makes you feel. It felt it, like a, that sense of like loneliness of not belonging in this community for the most part. In third grade, Vasu's prosthetic leg collapsed beneath him. He smashed his face into the desk corner. Blood streamed down his hands as classmates looked on. He ditched the prosthetic for good after that. Amidst bouncing from one side of the world to the other and feeling like he never quite fit in, Vasu discovered that one place that did bring him joy, the outdoors. We were in apartment complexes throughout my childhood. We were always playing outside with kids in the apartment complexes. It wasn't the day of the, the cell phones and whatnot. So we were playing street hockey or playing soccer or just running around, playing hide and seek, riding our bikes. From skateboarding to soccer, Vasu threw himself into whatever sport his brother and friends were playing, discovering how to adapt to the sport with one leg. We were always active. My dad and my brother would always be helpful in creating different things that would help me be more active. They were very much invested in my joy, so that was amazing to have that support. And I know a lot of folks don't have that support, so it's definitely a privilege on my end. At age 10, sport led Vasu down a path that would fundamentally alter his life. Connecticut does have winters, and they're really cold and humid, and we don't have too many ski mountains, but we had made a friend. He's Russian by ethnicity. That's kind of the cold-bloodedness is bred into that culture, so... That he wanted to go skiing and my brother wanted to go snowboarding. And I was like, wait, I want to go snowboarding because I was following my brother around a lot. But I was like, wait, how do I snowboard with one leg? So then I was like, I'll just try skiing, whatever. We were watching a lot of X Games and Rocket Power and all these quote unquote extreme media contents. And a lot of that space, like Rocket Power was showing folks of color doing these things. I'm like, hell yeah, brown folks doing this. We can do this. And of course, X Games wasn't, but it was still just cool to notice the that cool factor that comes with the X Games. Inspired by Rocket Power, the X Games, and Russian cold weather sensibility, Vasu and his brother Amir ventured to Ski Sundown, a local hill near Hartford, Connecticut. Connecticut doesn't really have the most prolific ski hills, but it was really cool to experience skiing for the first time. I was taking part in a ski lesson and the ski instructor had a really difficult time trying to teach me how to ski because my dynamics with one leg is much, much different than someone with two legs. I said, screw it. And then me and my brother just went skiing around the hill on our own and our friend. So that was a good moment of just jumping headfirst into the deep end. Learning how to point a slippery toothpick or two down a steep, snowy slope and slide down, seemingly with no control, can be terrifying, no matter how good your teacher. It was definitely a roller coaster. Frustrating, of course. Trying something new for the first time is always frustrating, but having my brother there or having that idea set into me that if I fall down, I can get myself back up. My brother, who's older than me, always stood up for me and always does stand up for me on a daily basis. It was a lot based on like tough love. I call him kind of an asshole, but one of those lovable assholes, not actually bad intentions. His intentions have always been to build uh, self-resiliency within myself. He'd tell me to get myself back up on my own. But if I actually wasn't able to, he was there to help me. Last resort kind of thing. No matter how much I kicked and screamed and cried, he would still be like, dude, you could totally do this. 
Vasu's brother was not the only one looking out for him that day. Out of nowhere, at this tiny little ski hill in Connecticut, another dude with one leg was skiing that same day and skied up to me and was just like, yo, keep going, man, and then just skied off. In hindsight, he was like an intermediate skier. But of course, back in the day, I was like, this guy rips. <laughs> I don't see that many skiers with one leg. And seeing that in that space where skiing isn't a big part of the Connecticut culture was very much serendipitous and very much, I don't know, like maybe an out-of-body experience. Seeing that skier with one leg was like seeing a shooting star streaking across a dark sky. It was a sign and concrete proof of what was possible. After that first day on the slopes, Vasu and his brother were hooked. My brother wanted to keep going. I wanted to keep going. It was fun. We liked playing in the snow a lot. There was just one problem. Skiing is so freaking expensive, especially adaptive skiing with the additional gear and not many companies making this gear. So the price is out of, out of this world. So we were trying to convince our parents, no, we want to ski. Help us buy this stuff. We had a lot of conversations around that and just trying to make sure we bought inexpensive gear at like sale and at random swaps or whatever it may be just to try to like figure out that pricing because again financial barriers within the ski world are definitely existent. Vasu's parents were just a bit bewildered by their son's newfound interest. They emigrated here in the 80s and yeah it's still part of the culture to um, be arranged marriage so they're part of that process of being uh, arranged marriage. And they, of course, try to push that on me, but I just have to keep saying no. Convincing them that this was something fun that we wanted to do was definitely tricky and it took a while. That first day I saw this dude skiing and then I started looking up adaptive ski equipment a little bit more. There is already an industry when I was growing up and the industry is massive now, but looked up what outriggers were, which are forearm crutches with little skis on the bottom. And that's what I use now. Tried to convince my parents to buy me a pair and they're like three, $400 a pair compared to ski poles, which are what, like less than a hundred bucks. That in itself is another barrier. Those were adjustable. So as I started growing, I could adjust them to my size. I was just learning how to use these on my own. When it came to something seemingly as simple as ski poles, price wasn't the only obstacle Vasu faced. Learning how to use them was a trial by fire, or really more accurately, a trial by fracture. Outriggers have two settings and... Those settings are um, controlled by this string that's attached to the handle. And if you pull the string, it moves the ski from ski mode, which is flat, to walk mode, where the ski is vertical with little crampon teeth on the bottom. I was primarily using the outriggers in that setting, in walk mode and not ski mode, because I just wasn't comfortable with that sliding motion just yet. And around the cuff of the crutch, which is around the forearm, there's a Velcro strap that holds your arm in if you want to let go of the handle. And I went for a pole plant pretty much with the outrigger in walk mode. My arm was still caught in the cuff and I flipped over and broke both ulna and radius. I still have a massive scar on my hand showing that. From then on, I ripped that cuff off and I was like, I don't need this cuff anymore. This is ridiculous. So many people break their arms in this process. And I've heard horror stories now that I'm in the industry a little bit more. So that's how I broke my arm and started learning how to actually use my outrigger in the way that it's intended to be used. Learning how to use outriggers was not the only piece to the puzzle that Vasu had to put together. No one actually taught me how to ski. I was mostly just doing it on my own and following my friends and my brother and whatnot down the hill and throwing tantrums and yelling at him <laughs> like a child I was. 
And it took me, I would say, 10 years actually to learn how to ski proficiently without any instructor, without any visual cues, without anything. And yeah, that was quite the process. And when I say actually learn how to ski, that means actually skiing in control and like stopping at when I want to and knowing when to turn and skiing moguls and glades and all the more technical terrain. I was always skiing prior to that, like blues and greens and technical stuff, but I would just like crash all the time. That's the thing about like disability cultures. We are one of the most resilient communities on this planet, which is awesome to be a part of. People think we're fragile. People think you have to tiptoe around our disabilities. No, you don't. People have people have tried to kill us through institutionalization or eugenics or whatever it may be, but we're still here. We're still kicking ass and we're still making sure our voices are heard no matter what our voices are. Vaz's tenacity paid off. As he outgrew the bunny hills of Connecticut, he set his eyes on the Appalachians to the north. But getting to those bigger, more engaging peaks involved a three, four, even five-hour drive and a lot of money for all that gas, lift tickets, and hotel rooms. Those trips became more feasible once Vasu entered high school. The nice thing was our high school offered these really subsidized trips up to Vermont, which was Mount Snow, Chemo, Stowe, Meadow Glen, Jay Peak, Sunday River up in Maine. And it cost like... for a weekend trip, gas, food, ski tickets, all included. So not too expensive compared to if you did it on your own. So went a lot with that. Vazu's passion for skiing was like a snowball rolling downhill, growing faster and faster. I just wanted to keep skiing all the time. So I like tried out for our school ski team and they were like, oh, we should definitely not cut the disabled kids. So they added me to the team. I don't care if it's based off pity that you've added me. I'm just going to go skiing with my friends on the weekdays. I started building more community, building my own friends around skiing, which was awesome. And drifted away from my brother's friends, which he started getting annoyed about. And then me and my friends started going up to Vermont on our own. Skiing opened the doors for Vasu to find a community where he belonged. The allure of northern New England winter attracted him to attend the University of Vermont in Burlington. It didn't take long before he heeded the call of the backcountry and remote technical lines. One of the more advanced, I guess, in my perspective, backcountry ski experiences was up in the Chicchocks in northern Quebec, and it was freezing cold. We slept in negative 30 degree weather that night in like snow caves. I don't know if you've ever been in the Chicchocks, but it's the northern tip of the Appalachian Mountains, which are one of the oldest mountains in the world or definitely in the country. They look like this mini Alaska and not many trees, super low trees, quick alpine terrain. We were skinning in seven miles, and I thought that was just like a massive amount of mileage. And now that I think about it, I'm like, wait, I do seven miles on a daily basis. But just going back at that, I was like, shit, that was so cool. And experiencing these lines where you actually have to scope it out and make sure that you're not hitting this rock or hitting this cliff and avoiding avalanche terrain and terrain traps. There are no lifts in the backcountry to transport you up the mountain. You have to get up using your own power. Figuring out how to do so with one leg turned out to be both a physical and an intellectual task. I do have an engineering degree from the University of Vermont. So that kind of mindset comes with the territory of building some of this stuff as well, which has been very much helpful. Average two-legged freaks all use two skis, or a split board with skins on the bottom and then poles to get up with technical bindings. Obviously, the system would not cut it for Vasu. 
You can't use normal ski poles like crutches. They would sink right through the snow. As a mechanical engineering student himself, Vasu and a team at UVM got together to develop a system. I use one ski with a skin and a tech binding, and then those same outriggers or ninja sticks, and on the bottom of those outriggers are those little skis, and then on those skis are what I've developed with a bunch of my friends in Vermont at UVM, mm-hmm. um, this snowshoe basket attachment, and that has like little teeth on the bottom. The plastic is perfect because it's actually the extension for an MSR snowshoe, so like it's made for snow. I you know, added a few little attachments so I can slide it on and off of my little ski on the bottom of my outrigger. That's been pretty much helping me get up the hill, just like all of you. The nice thing about the snowshoe baskets is that they are about like eight to 10 inches wide. They stick out like a couple inches outside of my ski pole or the the little skis on the bottom. So they have a bigger surface area that do, they do go into the, powder if it's a if there's new snow a few inches but not like super deep so they do catch themselves which is awesome and I can put a lot of weight on them I have a few other friends that are what we call three trackers because I'm making technically three tracks in the snow two outriggers and one ski and I'm trying to convince them to get into the backcountry and a few of them have tried and they're just like dude this is exhausting how do you do this for miles Um, I'm skiing at or above the level of a lot of my friends, which is awesome. And that's all because of one little piece of gear. Problem solving his gear had a formative effect on Vasu's athletics and even the trajectory of his life. Within adaptive sports, each person, each disability has so many different needs. I will say this snowshoe basket thing that I made for my outriggers would work well with a lot of other crutch users but it might not work for a lot of folks that are in wheelchairs or other folks, but it is definitely helpful in that sense. That was the impetus for me to transition from pursuing an engineering career to adaptive sports. I was like, sweet, I can use my problem-solving mind to be able to try to create productive methods for other folks with disabilities to be able to access the outdoors. After Vasu graduated from UVM, he traded in engineering job applications for a volunteer position at Vermont Adaptive Ski and Sports. The nonprofit partners with ski resorts around the state to empower people with disabilities through inclusive recreation. I started volunteering for Vermont Adaptive, and then I became an intern for Vermont Adaptive at Sugarbush, and just fell in love with the aspect that the outdoors is incredibly healing and powerful for everyone and especially for folks of marginalized identities, having a disability, just noticing the uh, freedom people get from just going skiing. It's really not about skiing, but it's about the feeling that we get from skiing or the feeling that we get from a lot of these activities. That was the pull for me to start becoming more innovative, not just with the equipment, but with the psychological problem solving when it comes to developing different processes for finding success for other people with disabilities. Interning with Vermont Adaptive led to another one of those pivotal aha moments. I was skiing on a lesson. I believe the kid had Down syndrome and he was being tethered 
So in, in the adaptive ski world, a lot of folks that might not have that speed control or that body awareness of turning or whatever usually are put on tethers to be able to have that kinesthetic learning process of, okay, and this is how you turn. By, and the volunteer behind pulls the tether to help them turn. And this kid was being tethered down a very mellow run, a green run that most of us more experienced skiers would just call it a run to get back to the lodge. And he was having the time of his life, like just loving every minute, hooting and hollering. And I was hooting and hollering with him. And he was stoked. I was stoked. We were all stoked. And I was just like, that was this switch where these programs are not about the volunteers. It's not about me. It's not about anything that I'm doing. It's about this person, the feeling that he's getting that sense of freedom especially in a very ableist world that always dehumanizes people with disabilities to feel that sense of freedom for even the slightest little bit. So that was a big moment in that career shift. And I was like, I want to be in this full on. That philosophy, combined with dreams of bigger mountains and more snow, sent Vasu West to Bozeman. And of course... The first thing I typed into Google was therapeutic recreation Bozeman and Eagle Mount popped up and there was a job opening, coincidentally. Applied for the job, given it was like a organization with 20 or so people, getting a job in that kind of space is very difficult. Like Vermont Adaptive, Eagle Mount Bozeman encourages individuals of all abilities to discover their strength, confidence and joy through outdoor activities. So they didn't have a face to the name. I didn't unfortunately get that job, but I started volunteering at Eagle Mount for the summer. And that job opened up again for the winter, which doesn't really happen in small organizations like that. And I applied, got it this time, stuck around and made my way up the ranks, up the ladder in the leadership. So that was the process and just learning about how to work with people, how to work with different disabilities, how to coordinate a program, how to find donors, how to just run a massive program with 500 plus volunteers and 300 plus participants with disabilities and coordinating with the ski area to make sure everything's good to go and making sure all the equipment is set. Before long, Eagle Mount hired Vasu as the adaptive sports director. He was 23. And most people thought I was an intern. I'm more trial by fire just like skiing was to me, like me jumping right into this organization headfirst was exactly the way I wanted to learn. There's like dozens of programs that Eagle Mount offers. So super cool to be involved and learn about a lot of that stuff. As Vasu dove deeper into the adaptive sports world, he also dove deeper into the backcountry. I personally love steep, tight skiing. I think that's just the East Coast in me. I always try to find ski lines that are the width of the couch that I'm sitting on. In June 2015, Vasu found just the line that fit the bill, the ruler, up in the northern Bridger Range of Montana. True to its name, the ruler stands out from the surrounding rock face, a thin line of white shooting straight up into the sky. It's literally 160 centimeters, maybe. Getting to the top of the ruler is a feat unto itself, Vasu and his ski partner, Reese, biked, bushwhacked, and boot-packed for hours. By the time they reached the summit and stared into the narrow couloir of rotting, rock-strewn snow dropping into the abyss below, Vasu had had plenty of time to question this choice. That was pretty rowdy. At the top of that line, I was just like, 
please get me off this mountain. I'm going to be a pinball if I screw up, bounce off the walls. I just want to get down this safely. But I don't know. That was a weird masochistic addiction that I have of like trying to find the precarious <laughs> line and just like being able to ski it. But that line was also like 55 degrees steep. And I was like, okay, I don't think anyone with one leg has ever been in here. Let's see if I can do it. Jump turn by jump turn. Vasu did, in fact, do it. I think I almost shit my pants, but that was super cool. Definitely a big smile of like relief and uh, accomplishment. I'm always trying to find how far I can push my body personally. And that was definitely a test to that. As Vasu's own athletic career soared, he increasingly confronted how the outdoor community perpetuates a culture of exclusivity, not only around ableness, but also race. He didn't have to look far to see it. The population of Bozeman is over 90% white. This figure closely reflects the racial demographics of skiers and snowboarders across the U.S., which came in at 88% white last year. Vasu realized he can hold space for his identities as someone with a disability and also someone of color at once. And, in fact, those two identities are intersectional. They interact and compound in unique ways. Every identity comes with its own oppressions and privileges. I identify as a person of color, specifically identify as a South Asian uh, American, Indian American, which compared to Black and African Americans and Indigenous folks in this country, I'm very much privileged because our identity technically isn't as oppressed as some of those other identity spaces. So understanding that that identity when itself, I do get affected by racism a little bit, but compared to someone that identifies as Black or Indigenous, not so much systemically. And then also understanding, yes, I do have a disability, but my disability, I'm able to actually navigate a lot of ableist spaces, spaces that have physical barriers like staircases and heavy doors and all these non-accessible options. I, I can navigate those for the most part, like 99% of the time. The only thing I actually need help with is like heavy lifting and carrying heavy equipment or a food tray or water. So I understand that on the spectrum of disability, I'm also on the end of very privileged, whereas someone that might be using a wheelchair or an electric wheelchair would not be able to gain access to a lot of these spaces that only have staircases or only have these very inaccessible options. So understanding that was very much influential in understanding my privilege. I also view privilege in a way that is, it's not bad to have privilege. It's just how we leverage it. So that's my motivation to work in this industry. Vasu continues to push himself as hard as he pushes for inclusivity. In 2017, Vasu set another first for an adaptive skier. I love skiing on snowblades, especially when it's spring skiing and stuff. So spinning on snowblades is much easier. You can just stand there and do a 360. I had to do a 360 on snowblades first. And then I was like, okay, how do I correlate this to a longer ski? So I started kind of having the same body dynamics to a longer ski, changing it up a little bit. So I started doing 360s more and more, very consistently, learning how to spot my landing. And then I started out of nowhere over-rotating these 360s. And I was like, why the heck am I not even trying to spin anymore? Like, I just am over-rotating these. Then I was like, okay, if I'm over-rotating, why not? I told myself that if I'm over-rotating a 3, I might as well go for a 5. That's a 540-degree spin or one and a half rotations. 
And I did a little bit more push on my rotation and I over-rotated a five and I was like, wait a minute. Okay, might as well just go for the freaking seven and not land backwards. That's a 720 degree spin or two full rotations in the air. Tried it a few times, maybe three or four times and landed it on one of my friends took a video of it, which is awesome. The metaphorical lessons extend to failure too. Ate a lot of shit, don't worry. I slammed myself so many times. I'm so glad I wear a helmet. The number one rule for professional athleticism is learning how to take a fall. Embracing failure opened doors to a whole other sport, ultra running. One of my friends like was like, hey, you should just come trail running with us. I don't know. We're not that fast. You should come. Great. So I just went out and it was just like this two and a half, three mile run. Man, I got my ass handed to me um, actually running because uphill running is much more difficult than flat running. And I tried to make sure that I was actually running the entire time. Ultra running, is it's mostly just fast hiking. So <laughs> this time I was like actually trying to run the entire time. Afterwards, I was just like, that was pretty sweet. I'm going to keep going. So then I slowly, incrementally added more mileage. Just any kind of learning process is just like making it a little bit harder, a little pushing the limit a little bit more and more. So I went from three miles to five miles to eight miles to 10 miles. Then realized I actually need to run with gloves on or I have to figure out how to pad my hands because after a certain mileage, my hands are on fire. I'm using my hands as feet. Started developing new wrapping techniques around my hands. Now they just look like I'm about to go boxing. And they're padded, they're nice, they're soft. I'm able to run 20 plus miles without my hands completely hating me. Started to push my limits on that end. And now over the summer, I was definitely running mountain marathons and like up to 7,000 vert on each of them. None of them are fast in the sense that other ultra runners would run them. I'm just doing going at my own pace and I don't give a f- about other people's pace. I'm going to do it myself and just kind of go with it. And if people want to wait for me, great. If you don't, I don't care. <laughs> we are in bear country, so I would prefer you wait for me. I jumped into that ultra running side and kind of got with the backcountry side being such an endurance sport as well. Ultra or trail running was all is also an endurance sport. So I really enjoy that cardio aspect and got into longer road biking as well. We'll start running up mountains too while I'm at it when there's snow, because I know how to snow travel for the most part. In August 2015, Vasu put his summer snow traveling and mountaineering skills to the test, looming 12,807 feet of ragged rock into the sky. Granite Peak is Montana's high point. It also contains third and fourth class terrain, as well as significant exposure over the final 200 feet, making it one of the hardest climbs in the lower 48. It was tough just because it was a 23 hour day, I think. And that was definitely one time I found my body's limit. Very much nauseous by the end of it. I'm like, oh my God, I can't walk more than five steps and wanting to puke. For Vasu, skiing, ultra running and mountaineering all have more than mountains in common. I feel like it's not even proving it to anyone. It's just proving it to myself that I am capable of doing this. Life is hard. We can do hard things every day, including running a mountain marathon or including skiing this really steep, scary line. I personally believe there is that connection. Day to day, we're going to run into obstacles no matter how hard we try not to. So it's like, how do we build that mindset and resiliency um, to overcome those obstacles and barriers? One, yeah. That mindset is definitely important heavily, but also too, like we all need support to get over certain obstacles. I needed the support of my brother when I was growing up and still currently, 
or having a friend to lean on when going through a really rough time. We all can't do this all on our own. Humans are meant to be interdependent on each other and the ecosystem around us. Sport is more than a metaphor for life. It's a testing ground for life. And sport is Vasu's inspiration for his work off the mountain. Spending time outside is incredibly healing for my own well-being. It's my self-care. Me going for a run, me going for a ski has been so helpful for my mental health. To be able to do this work behind the scenes, to get more people to join the movement of diversity is important, including diversity is important. And that's kind of the thing is all these communities spend time outside in whatever various forms that they feel most comfortable. Me being Indian, my parents mostly spent time outside when they were growing up. Did it mean that they were quote unquote conquering mountains or putting down first known, whatever fastest known times? No, they were just spending time with their friends and having the time of their life outside. But disconnecting those communities through limited access to resources, limited green spaces in urban areas, especially in black and brown communities, that's going to cause more and more mental health concerns. That's where I'm at is the outdoors is incredibly healing, incredibly powerful for every single community, black, brown, indigenous, Asian, white. I personally believe it's a human right to have access to outdoor spaces because that's how we have evolved. We don't evolve sitting in boxes that are poorly lit, brightly lit, moving with wheels, whatever. We evolve with our ecosystem in hand. From his own athletics to expanding access for others, Vasu's North Star remains constant. The best skier on the mountain is the one having the most fun. That's kind of where I'm at with any sport or any activity. I'm like, as long as people are, the point of these activities, skiing is an outlandish sport. It's so ridiculous as a recreation. It's a great way of mode of transportation when there's a shit ton of snow and to go hunting and provide supplements for your family and stuff. But as a recreation, it's ridiculous. I bring it back to that feeling that we get instead of the activity itself. Back is presented by Gaia GPS. This episode was produced and edited by me, Abby. Sound design by Phil Corbett. Interview co-conducted with Shanti. Special thanks to Mary Kokenauer for her help with editing as well. If you've made it this far, we would be ever so grateful for your feedback. Consider dropping us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever people do that these days. Thanks so much for tuning in. Mm-hmm.